Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. And so really for Paul, after the great opportunity in Athens, and you think about it, he, ministry-wise, you know, scaled the heights of having a chance to speak to this leadership, the elite. He had a chance to speak at the um, Areopagus and, and, and the great opportunity there. Although, yes, there was some ministry success, but here it was, the pinnacle of this cultural center. He got to speak at some of the highest levels and share the gospel. Some people would have added that as their resume, and man, they would have sought to continue to seek that kind of environment. I can just imagine Paul's resume, if he was being asked to speak, that he got to speak on Mars Hill in Athens, where people were not honoring Christ, but I was bold and got a chance to share Christ there. Everyone would have been like, wow, you got a chance to speak there. But somehow, that was not Paul's mission. His mission was whatever opportunity the Lord gives me, I'm going to take advantage of, whether it takes me to the heights or it requires me to be to the lows. And that's one of the reasons why Paul could be successful. If you have to have a particular context in which to do ministry, you are limited. You won't be used to your max if it just has to, it just has to be right. You had the team up here talking about how they had to flex and adjust and adapt. If you are not one as a believer that can flex, adjust, and adapt, if it has to be to your liking and, and, and at the ease level that you desire, guess what? You are not going to be as effective as God wants you to be. And I see a man here who, now he goes from these heights, and he heads to Corinth. I want to give a little insight on Corinth before we get started. Understand that Corinth was a place of both status and wealth. Because of where they sat, because of the trade route, because of their, known for their pottery and other things, this was a very wealthy environment. The city had been destroyed and then rebuilt by Julius Caesar in 46 BC and so, and made a Roman colony. And so, they were proud of that status they had, of that wealth they had. They were people of means, but it was also a greatly depraved city. The promiscuity level was high. You go up over a thousand feet, there was a plateau, and up on that pl plateau was the temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And let your imaginations go as to what happened up there as they worshiped love in an ungodly, sensual way. And such that usually in the evenings, those temple slaves that were there to help people worship love in the way that's not loving, that they would come down into the city and be available for all kinds of prostitution. 
That was Corinth. The arrogance and the pride and the status and the wealth led Paul to say, truthfully, in Acts 126, here's what he said. For consider your calling, brother. He was talking to the Corinthians. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. The elite and the status-filled and the wealthy did not embrace the gospel at first. Who you had responding to the gospel were those that were not recognized as high and mighty, as we would say. And so you had a church here. Now, there were some places where there were wealthy and status-filled individuals as a part of that church being born. This was not one of them. As a matter of fact, it is said, Josephus even writes, it is said that in Corinth, many of the things that Christ held high, they disregarded. They did not like mercy. They did not like those qualities of humility. They, that those things that we say represent who Christ is, Corinth despised. And so you're coming into an environment now that is not just about status and wealth. There's a lot of places like that. But it's dark enough that the perversion is high. And the rejection of Christ is, actually, is, is, is high, and he is actually ridiculed. Those things that we value in the kingdom, they ridicule. And enter Paul into that. And I want us to know that the gospel is strong enough. The gospel is powerful enough to go into those dark places you um, you all who mentioned being on the trip and you go into Sedona, into that dark place. And I was thinking about this, and God says, there is no place dark enough that I can't go. Because we know the greater the darkness, the brighter the light shines. We get scriptures that say that you shine as stars in a dark and perverse generation. And so what he tells us is sometimes we see those dark spaces and we go, I can't be there. And God says, that's just where I want you. But God, do you know how, how perverse this place is? That's why you're there. But God, do you know how, how, how much they reject you? Another thing that this really stands out for me is that you don't need a whole bunch of wealthy, status-filled folk for God's church to flourish. Because here it was. Now, God, now, God is open to all. Whoever would be willing to receive him, God is willing to give his salvation to. But make no mistake, God does not need me or you and our wealth and our money. And I'll say here, as much as we love all of you who give at different levels, and as our staff and other people know, I have no idea what any of you give. I don't look at it. I tell them I don't want to know, period. There's a reason for that, because it doesn't matter. You give to the Lord as is between you and him, 
and guess what? God begins to use it as he wills. But, but, but here I see in Corinth, God is going to establish a church where not many of you were noble, not many of you were wealthy, not many of you had status. God, how did you start that church? Because it's about me, not about man. That gives encouragement. In a society that are seeking for the wealthiest and the most status to be a part of their organization, whether it's a church or not, God says, it doesn't matter. I'm going to fill it with whomever I choose, and we're going to make it work. And when I look at that, Paul enters into this environment. I wrote here, regardless of who comes to Christ and joins the church or, or the fellowship, Christ can be in it and bring kingdom success. Let me say it again. Regardless of who comes to Christ and joins the church, Christ can be in it and bring kingdom success. I say kingdom because many times what we call success may not be what God is calling success. Kingdom success is as what? People coming to know him, people growing in him, and people being sent out to win others to him. Kingdom success. Whether you have a big building, small building, big campus, small one, a lot of money, little money, it doesn't matter. Yes, it matters in how you manage that. Yes, it matters in what we keep. But I man, Corinth tells me big time that God says, I will do this. I am responsible. You and I just be faithful. And it was a great reminder for me, for us, as we continue in this new year, the Lord is calling us to faithful, kingdom, successful ministry. Let him worry about the money. Because here's the deal. When God has your heart, he has everything about you. The reason I don't worry about that is that I preach so that God has your heart. And when the need arises his way, see, I may have a desire, God, we need funds to do this. And God says, that's not my desire right now. No. And we get all upset and mad, and then we come around and say, okay, God, what's your desire? Because I believe that God provides for what he approves. God provides for what he approves, and he will continue to do that. And Corinth is beginning to show us that. So anyway, as we start verse 1, it says, after this, meaning after this time on the Areopagus and after the events at that time, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. His two partners had, had not joined him in Athens. <clears throat> and so he moved on from Athens and moved to Corinth. And this first point I want to talk about is this whole sense of divine connection. God connecting Paul in the right places, and God connecting you and I as we make ourselves available for ministry. So what happened? It says, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from, um, from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And this word finding, it could, it could mean one of two things. It could mean that he found after searching heavily or that he came across. In this particular sense, it is believed that it means that he just, he came across them. He was connected to them because they had similar trades. And it says that here. And so Paul meets this couple that they themselves were not at their original home. They had lived in Rome. 
And as a governmental act, he threw all the Jews out. So they had to go somewhere. This couple ended up, you know, he was born in Pontus, right there by Bithynia. And then he makes his way to Rome, of course. And then out of Rome, he, he, he finds himself in Corinth because his trade is where he could have the most success. He was a tent maker or he was one that sewed, you know, tough and rough leather-like cloth together. And that's where they sold these garments. And so Paul set up shop with them. That They said, we have the same trade we have the same Christ because I got in conversation with them. They started to work together, and they invited Paul to live with him. It's interesting. Paul did not have a place to stay when he was heading to Corinth, but that didn't seem to bother him. Divine connection. God worked that out. God provides for what he approves. And he gets to Corinth, and he finds them. Verse 3, it says, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. I love also the mindset of Paul, and I would encourage us that, that Paul went from preaching before the elite at the Oropagus to now doing manual labor with entrepreneurs and artisans at that time, people that were tradesmen and women. It didn't matter to him. Does it matter to you? Can God call you to anywhere? And I know for some of us, when, when we think anywhere, we think of the most um, uh, uh, undesirable place that we would ever go. We're like, no, Lord, don't. I don't know where that is in your book. But that's not a worry because understand God provides where he approves and Paul was able to switch gears without issue. And it wasn't comfortable because the setting, as you read up on the setting, they, the, the way it was set up where all the shops were, were like these big tent-like booths. And, of course, at the top is where the people lived. And it's believed that Paul lived on the ground floor amongst all the tools of the trades and all the leather and other stuff. Paul was probably sleeping pretty much on the floor. It didn't matter. For some of us, man, we would have been out. But I'm looking here at a person that the kingdom of God was more important than their comfort. And thus he can make the adjustment. Don't be afraid to avail yourself to God, to make yourself available because you think he's going to hem you up in some place uncomfortable. He might. But where else would you rather be? Would you rather be uncomfortable in the Lord's will or totally comfortable out of it? Which one? That was my reminder. Curtis, where you want to be? You want to be in my will? And again, I'm not saying that it will be. It may be. And well, no, at some point it will be. Because that's just how the Lord works, and he really works against our flesh. Our flesh seeks comfort as king. We do all the time. I want it comfortable. I want it good for me. I want it to benefit me. And God says there's only one problem. It's not your kingdom. It's mine. And so when he sends us place, sometimes he does give us He does. Sometimes he gives us comfort. Praise the Lord. But sometimes it's uncomfortable. And Paul sets in, and they get to work 
And so he would work by day, and on the Sabbath, or what we would call on the weekends, he reasoned, verse 4, in the synagogues. But it was a divine connection. He was able to do ministry because God set up this appointment for him to meet this couple. These people would remain partners with Paul for a while. Why? Because Priscilla, I'm sorry, Aquila and Priscilla, and then they would flip it because of her involvement. Um, they would be with Paul in Corinth. We'll see Ephesus that they helped. And eventually, if you look at Romans 16, verses 3 through 5, as he's closing out, something real interesting happened. I didn't give this one to Paul, so he won't be able to put it up, but you guys just write it down and actually go to it later. And let me turn to it real quick. Romans 16, verses 3 through 5. He says, greet Prisca. That was another name for um, Priscilla. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. I'm like, that divine connection and appointment would last for years. As they were thrown out of Rome, would do ministry wherever God allowed them to go, and actually was hosting the church back in Rome when times changed. Let me tell y'all, you don't want those kind of people with you. Those are your ride or dies. Those are the people that you want by your side when you're trying to do effective ministry. They didn't need the limelight, but they knew how to get in and, and to do kingdom work. And so, as, as God sets him up in this through divine connection, the second thing is that we see a determined disciple that you see that, that, that he did work, but that work was only just to meet his needs that he had to do ministry. We call tent-making today. We have tent-making pastors or, or, or tent-making ministries. They refer to this. People that work at some skill or job to meet their financial needs, but their primary goal is to do ministry. And God may be calling some of you to do that. Some of your business acumen and skills, your small business, you think is just for you. And God is like, hey, you, got, you got great success in that business, right? Yes, Lord, thank you. Guess what I want? I want you to use that for a platform for ministry. But God, what if the business goes south? He said, man, who set you up for this business? See, the deal becomes when God has your heart, he has everything attached to you. And so he began to, on the Sabbath, reason with the Jews, and he began to go to the marketplace like he did in Athens and speak with the Gentiles. And so that was his ministry. He would work, make money, and then on the Sabbath, and whenever he could, he would spend time. And he was always busy. But then something changed because he was even more determined is when his partners arrived, verse 5, when Paul and Silas, I'm sorry, when Paul, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. 
You say, wait, how did that happen? Second Corinthians actually tells what happened, which is why Paul became occupied when his buddies came. Second Corinthians 11, verse 8 says, Paul is speaking. He says, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. He's talking to the Corinthians now, talking about his ministry again. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. What happened was when those two arrived, they brought the money from the Macedonian church that they gave, remember, out of their poverty. I wrote this down. You, God, God allows us to see their money at work in ministry. Can I tell you, you have no idea what you give, how it affects what God wants to do. He gave us this little sneak peek. He said, they gave. Now, Paul writes them later and thanks them for his gift. But they gave, and what it allowed Paul to do is to stop making tents because that was not his function. He was good at it, but that was not what was his primary focus. primary focus, he leaned in and just put it all on to lead people to Christ because that's why he was there. Now, I'm not saying that you stop your business, but I'm telling you, you do need to understand your why in whatever you do as a believer. Yes, God has you there making money so that you can finance your lifestyle. Yes, he allows us to enjoy it. Yes, he gives us those opportunities to take vacations and to do all that, but that is not your main goal, not as a believer. If God was to free you up in money, and money was no object for you anymore, what would you do? Ask yourself that question. What would I do if money was no longer an issue and an object? For some of us, we go, I have no idea. And God says to you, and I, then I want you to have one as his children, as his child. He wants you to know. And so Paul leans in, man, and he says he now gets, and his ministry was so effective in the synagogue that they begin to push back and push back strongly. We see here that as he begins to lean in, he says, verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived, from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ, that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, those two words, they, they opposed. It wasn't just, you know, they sat there with their arms folded. That word gives you the picture that they were in his face. It was face-to-face -face opposition. It got heated. And I'm sure Paul was reminded of these, pace, these, the, these places past that he had been in where not only did they oppose him to his face, they beat him in his face. 
I'm sure he was reminded, but they opposed him. It's, that's face-to-face -face opposition, and that word reviling, they defamed. Total disrespect of him in their words and their actions. They rejected the gospel so heavily that it got personal. And Paul had it. He was like, you are the ones that should be embracing Christ because our scriptures point to Christ. It tells us who he is. It tells us what he would do. And so they sat here and said, look, we should be the ones to embrace, but they didn't want anything to do with Christ. And so what did they do? They opposed him just, just harshly. And Paul turns in protest. And in stern words, help them to understand what they are doing. He says, and when they oppose and revile him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, he did this in Acts 13 when he was in Pisidian, but he did it here. And this time, it, 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 it was this violent, vehement protest. He said, you don't want Christ? It's on you. Now, I know there are some of us that after the first time we get rejected, we want to say that to people. Can I give you Paul's example? He went long and hard before he said that. Some of us want to throw people away the first time they look at us cross-eyed. I don't want you, Jesus. All right. Now, I ain't got to say nothing to you. His love for Christ and his love for them, he pushed in, he pushed in, and they kept saying no, no, and then the no got harder, and then it was the in-your-face no, and then it was personal with the attacks, and he was like, look, y'all, you are now, you are responsible for what you've heard. Please understand, God is not calling you and I to save anyone. Salvation is not up to us. That is up to God. We have been called to be faithful as we proclaim the gospel. But if people don't want their gospel, what Paul said applies to every person. Um, he says, the blood be on your own heads. Now, there is an opposite of that. If I have opportunity to share and I constantly keep myself from sharing, I now am partly responsible for them not hearing the gospel. Part of that blood is on me. But you have opportunity and you share, they reject. You share, they reject. You share, they reject. He said, it's on you. And he makes that statement, I'm innocent. And he says, y'all don't want me, it's okay. I'm going to go, literally, he goes next door. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Now, it doesn't mean that he would no longer talk to them because he would. It doesn't mean that he would no longer preach the gospel to them because he would, but they were not his primary focus after this. And what happens? He goes next door to this brother's house, and I thought he went from public to private. He was able, he, look, once again, he was able to shift that door closed. They don't want you there. Great. God says, I'm opening this one up. It's a different environment. It's a different context. It's a different arena. Go. And Paul went. And he said, verse 7, and he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius or 
Titius, I didn't get the pronunciation of that word, um, Eustace, a worshiper of God, his house was next door to the synagogue. But let me tell you that Paul's ministry still had effect on the synagogue because Crispus, verse 8, the ruler of the synagogue, he was a president of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And see, what you see now is that here is this man who loved God, who made his house available. Now, he put himself as a mark too. He's right next door to the synagogue. God, couldn't you move us down the street in another neighborhood? No, God says, I'm going to set up shop right next door. Y'all don't want them? That's good. They do. And I just thought, if that isn't antagonizing, I don't know what it is, but God was like, I'm going to preach it right next door to you, and then watch. You watch as all these different people come in and out this house, loving on the Lord that you rejected. I said, God, you got a sense of humor. He was like, you don't want them? Okay. They do. Right next door and just keep them going in and out. And you watching every day. All these folks that keep growing in the Lord. But that determination would bring trouble. But it's our last point that for me just really should settle all of us. And that is you had, I had all these here this morning. It was a divine connection um, we had a determined disciple, and lastly, it was a divinely promised ministry. And this just warms the heart. He didn't even let it, God didn't even let it get as heavy as it did in some of these other cities. When he was in Lystra and got beat, when he was in some of these other places and, and beaten down within an inch of his life, Paul is at rest, and the Lord makes a promise Verse 9, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Here's the three commands he tells him. And, 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 and look, this is a promise of both protection, and we'll see it, but of effective ministry if he remains faithful to the commands. Now, again, God doesn't always promise that no one will physically harm. We can't take this to mean every time. Because then if I were Paul, I'll ask, but what about the other times? You didn't say nothing about that. But here he did because he knew what he wanted to happen in this city in Corinth. He says, do not be afraid. And... <laughs> If someone tells you do not be afraid and nothing and, 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 and stuff is happening around you, you might need to cling on to that because there's going to be reason to be afraid that he's commanding you not to be. Do not be afraid. My question would have been, Lord, what's going to happen? I need to be afraid. Don't worry about it. Just don't be afraid. And that's a command. That's not just some cuddly little promise. It's a command. Don't let fear grip you with, um, with what I'm about to take you into. Do not be afraid. Go on. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't be silent. Those are the three. Those are three powerful ones. And what happened as a result? <clears throat> he says, for I am with you. So he gives the commands and then he gives what? For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, 
for I have many people in this, for I have many in this city who are my people. I, I, that, that just blew me away. I was like, Lord, that is so amazing. He says, don't be afraid. Keep speaking. Don't be silent. And then he gives a read, because I'm here. I'm here. Yes, you have all these people here who will be the vehicle that I will use, but God says, but it's me. You know what he tells us here? Don't be afraid to reach out into your neighborhood. I don't know what the promise of protection is, but you know what? Whatever it is, God provides for what he approves. Don't be silent. I mean, keep, keep preaching. Don't be silent. Why, God? Because I'm here. And because I'm here, who I'm going to use, I have many people. In, I have a whole lot of people here. And you know what? They will be involved in this. And as a result, what happens? Paul stayed there a year and a half teaching the Word of God among the people. A year and a half. God said, don't be afraid, Paul said, bet. We leaning in now, and he leans in, and it is fruitful discipleship ministry, proclamation of the word, because God, you promised. But the attack starts. Let me tell you what God did not promise. See, he says, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent, right? Here's what he didn't promise. No one is going to rise up against you. He didn't promise that. No one is going to push against you. No one is going to try to get in your way because they did. And so that promise was the Lord's promise of protection, the Lord's promise of effective ministry, the Lord's promise of successful ministry. That was his promise. And the Lord's protection from man because what ended up happening is those Jews came to the leader of that area, came to the proconsul, came to Galileo, and said to him, in essence, what he tried to do, when you read that, he tried to make Christianity illegal. When he said to them that they are preaching that which is against the law, it wasn't just Jewish law. They were trying to say, this is not the Jewish faith, and the Jewish religion was authorized in that region. And so what they were trying to say is they are, um, they are propagating unauthorized religion here and wanted him to make it illegal for them to do it. And God said, nice try. And Paul didn't even have a chance to defend themselves. It said before Paul could speak, you know, they went to him and said, make this thing illegal. Make him legally stop because we can't get him to stop any other way. We tried. We threw him out the synagogue. He went next door. That thing blew up. We got in his face. We tried everything, and we can't do it. So now we're going to try and get the law around us on our side. And God said, that's not going to work either. And what did he end up doing? He worked on the heart of the leader. And as they came to him, he said, look. He says, but when Paul, verse 14, was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O oh, Jews, I would, have, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourself. 
I refuse to be a judge of these things. In other words, he's like, stop bothering me. I'm not doing anything. And in essence, what he did is that he made it okay for them to proclaim the gospel. And they didn't have a leg to stand on, so they kept. And so they got mad. And I don't know if the new president of the synagogue was favorable toward them, but verse 17, well, first of all, Verse 16 said, and he drove them from the tribunal, from the place where they were to get judged. He was like, get out. And they got so mad, they grabbed one of their own and beat him in front of the tribunal. I thought, okay, help me out. They grabbed the new president of the synagogue. Did he do something wrong? I don't know. We don't know, but, but, but they grabbed him and beat him to a pulp and... In essence, Galileo said, it is in my best interest not to even deal with this. Because they said, oh, this is just our law? What if we beat this man in front of you? It's just your law. And what he did in doing that is to set the stage for them to continue, which would turn into the Corinthian church, which, of course, would turn into a church that grew, but a church that had issues that we get to deal with because we do. But look at the church that was born. Here's what I said. The threat of man did not stop the protection and promise of the Lord. They tried, they threatened, and they tried to threaten. Let me tell you something. If the Lord wants it, it will be done through us if we are faithful to it. If the Lord wants it, it will happen through us if we are faithful to it. Now, if the Lord wants it, it's going to happen anyway. It's up to you if you want to be included in it. It's up to me if I want to be included in it. I, see, the Jews here prove to me that we cannot stop what God wants to do. When God is on the move, you and I can't stop it. But we can, so we can choose to not be a part of it, we can choose to try and oppose it, futile, but we can't stop it. And what God is telling us today, listen, through this ministry in Corinth, I don't care how dark the place. I don't care how perverse the place. I don't, I, I don't care how opposing this is to the gospel. God says, if I want it to happen here, it will. Will you be faithful to do what it takes to be a part of what I want to do. And that's encouraging. I look at this new year and I'm like, you get to see, even as you give this year, you get to see your ministry dollars at work as we, based on God's approval, continue to do what he wants and people from the outside come in. Knowing that there will be religious people that don't want us to speak of the Lord, that don't want us to talk about him, and God knows how to move them out the way. As a matter of fact, God knows how to let them stand next door and watch what he does. And all we are called to do is be faithful. Faithful with it. We're learning in Bible study, we're going through stewardship. We're looking at stewardship of resources. We've already done that. Stewardship of our time. Stewardship of our treasure. 
We don't look, and stewardship of our talents. Um, we just got halfway through talents this week. We did time. Our talents, those skills and abilities, stewardship of it, and then our treasure. If you want to be included in what God is doing, you need to be a good steward of what he hands you to do. Without fear, continuing to preach his word as he gives it to you and not being silent. Why? Because God says, I'm here. And I will only let happen what I desire to happen. Don't worry about why I let it happen. Just know that I'm here. And for us, as we move forward, solid word, please let us realize, let us realize this is the Lord's work. Will you join in in whatever way he sees fit, whether it's your presence, whether it's through your pocket, whether it's through those skills and talents that he's given, what are you going to give in to what God wants to do? You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.